Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I was very afraid. I think, like many women, I was a victim of the imposter syndrome. And I believed I wasn't good enough. I believed I could never be a businesswoman. I was a psychologist. And the advice would be, seriously, everything is possible. Hello, and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton. And I'm Greta Thomas. And we're on a mission to help you achieve your goals. We're all about sharing the secrets of the world's most innovative and pioneering successful women. Hear their uplifting stories and practical advice right here. Yes, right here. And if you're enjoying this podcast, then why not sign up for our newsletter at hello at don'tstopusnow.co and keep listening for this week's latest episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode featuring a Colombian woman who's built a business fighting for more equality for working women in Latin America. Her name is Mia Pedomo and she's based in Bogota. Mia trained as a psychologist but always thought of herself as a feminist. In 2014, Mia attended a four-month-long leadership program at a university in the US and had what she describes as a life-changing experience. It was here that she realized she could be an entrepreneur and deliver social change. She teamed up with fellow course participant, Peruvian Andrea de la Piedra, and launched Iquales, a business focused on closing the gender gap in Latin America. They started by offering consulting services to businesses in Peru and Colombia who wanted more women in their ranks. Not surprisingly, business was pretty tough in what can be a challenging work environment for women. So Mia and her co-founder were forced to get creative. And that they did. In this episode, you'll learn the idea they came up with, which has totally changed the prospects for their business without losing its mission. Why Mia is so passionate about being a for-profit business with a social cause how she and her co-founder have navigated building a profitable, multi-country Latin American business. And you'll also hear about the astounding way some women are treated in Latin America's corporate world. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with the passionate and determined Mia Pedomo. Mia, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Hi, Claire and Greta. I'm very happy to be here. And we're super excited to have you here all the way from Bogota in Colombia. How is it today in Bogota? Well, today it's quite cold, actually. It's four o'clock in the afternoon and Bogota is a cold city because we are 2,600 meters above sea levels. Gosh. And I understand with COVID, Colombia is being pretty conservative. What's it actually like now? Yeah, it's been super conservative. I'm hoping that it was for the best. So right now, we're allowed to go outside and eat at restaurants up to a certain capacity. We're allowed to exercise. 
we're allowed to be in our cars, but still we're not allowed crowds bigger than, I don't know, 10 people and then in restaurants bigger than 30%. It sort of sounds a little bit similar to Australia, perhaps even even more conservative. But Mia, what we like to do when we start the show, just so that our listeners can ground who you are, I'm going to ask you a question, which is, if you met somebody at a dinner party, how would you describe what you do today? I would say I lead an organization that closes gender gaps in corporations in Latin America. Wow, that sounds very impressive. We'd love to get to know you a little bit more. Can you help us understand where you grew up and what your childhood was like? Sure. I love these more personal questions. I don't really get that asked much. So I grew up in between Portugal and Colombia, which was very odd at the time because I was probably the only person that I knew in Colombia that spoke Portuguese, especially Portuguese from Portugal, which is very particular. And I think that from that moment on, I became a bit of an international person, a world citizen, if you may, because I understood that there were so many different perspectives to the world and to society that I could no longer rely on what I was perceiving and understanding in Colombia, which it's a very homogenous society. Everyone's Catholic, everyone's mestiz or white, people who are Black or Indigenous are discriminated, so we don't see them as much as we should. So for me, it was amazing to be able to understand the world from a wider point of view. And from then on, I I decided that I always wanted to understand different points of view and that I would not stay with one version of the truth. So I think that also helped me become a feminist, because even in Europe, I realized that sexism was alive and well. And I, I realized that I was being treated as a sexual object since I was 13. I didn't like that. And I felt like women should be seen as integral human beings. I think that's really incredible that that happened at 13. And can you cast your mind back? You know, what did you imagine age 15, 16? What did you imagine you would do when you were grown up? So I have a diary since I was eight years old. And I wrote when, when I was 14, I wrote explicitly, I am a feminist. So I have a, I have a conscience of being a feminist since that age. And I know that from that moment on, I knew that I needed to work towards closing inequalities. I wasn't sure then that I would specifically be working for women's rights. I didn't know yet, but I knew that I had to work in social issues then after you'd left school, you both went to university, I think, in Colombia, and then also did a master's in London for memory in human rights. How did that study impact you? Oh, immensely. I studied psychology in Colombia, and I was lucky enough to join a faculty department of psychology that was very, very progressive. So to be honest, even if ideologically, I was a feminist before university, before my bachelor's degree, I became a theory-based feminist in college. I was taught uh, gender theory, feminist theory, social psychology theory, sociology, and all of these things just made me a true social scientist. And now I had a real basis for the work that I wanted to do later on. Here in Colombia, you always have to work 
like you have to be an intern before you graduate, but it's a long time. I was an intern for two years, an unpaid intern. So I had the chance to work with internally displaced population. And I also worked with women, empowering women. In Colombia, you don't need a post master's degree in order to do therapy, clinical therapy. So I was at 22, I was doing clinical therapy for women who survived violence. It was very interesting. And then I decided again that I wanted an international point of view. I decided that I wanted to study at a school that was focused on social sciences because I was obsessed about social sciences. I loved London and I I thought LSE would be the best school for me to go to for what I wanted. If you had to summarize your year uh, or your time in London doing your master's in human rights at the London School of Economics, a very prestigious school, how would you summarize that? I would summarize it as the understanding of broad social structures that protect and guarantee human rights, first of all. And then also as the first big step that I I took as an adult, because in Colombia, we live with our parents until we either move out or marry. So I moved out to London and, and that experience made me an adult. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And when you finished that, did you then start to work back in Colombia? I wanted to stay in Europe, so I went to work at uh, OHCHR for the United Nations in Geneva for an internship, and then I decided that, yes, I would come back to Colombia instead of staying. Uh Uh-huh. Fantastic. And in um, 2014, I think you were selected along with uh, 28 other Latin Americans to participate in a four-month-long leadership program at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., It seems that actually that experience really, really changed your life. Absolutely. That was probably the most life-changing experience that I've been through because they made me an entrepreneur. So before that, I thought I would just always work in the social sector. I would probably end up in the UN. And then they taught me because it was a business school-based program that I could both be a businesswoman and deliver social change. And I had never seen that happening. So that definitely changed my life forever. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine. How old were you then? I was 27. And I think at Georgetown, you met your current co-founder. Is that right? Can you tell us about that story? Sure. So Andrea La Piedra, she's currently my co-founder at Aequales. And when I arrived at Georgetown, she was my roommate. So I believe this is one of the instances in life where it's too much of a coincidence. I brought her the Lean In book from Sheryl Sandberg, and she brought her corporate knowledge. And we decided we would build a project that would close gender gaps in Latin America for corporations. Yeah, fantastic. And tell us about the initial idea. The original idea came because I wanted for us to work on gender equality issues, but I was always focused on those people who were most underprivileged, of course, and women who suffered multiple discriminations. But then Since we were at a business school and Andrea came from the corporate sector and we were reading Lean In, then Andrea said, why don't we work on this? Why don't we work on the women at the top? Why don't we work on female leadership? And I thought it was a good idea because from then on, we have seen that working with people in power allows you to change power structures and whatever whatever comes down from that. So I think we made a good choice in selecting power structures in order to dismantle gender inequalities there and then see the rest happening. 
And in the beginning, was it your idea to have like a, a ranking, which I believe you have now, or was there some other idea in terms of the concept? Our first idea was to be a consulting company. And so we would deliver workshops and do diagnosis. But then we realized that corporations weren't paying attention because you would go up to them. They would say, we don't know what you're talking about. Well, gender equality is a given. We're fine. Also, especially in Colombia, where really we have better gender parity stats than anywhere else in Latin America. But then also they didn't want to pay you for something that they didn't believe that was a problem. So we decided we would create the ranking so that we would get the corporation's attention and that and so that we would measure them and they would realize that they really didn't have gender equality conditions and that they needed help either from us or from anybody else. And so this is why we created the ranking. We made them compete and they realized that they wanted this reputation because it had benefits and they started just getting better and paying more attention. Sounds very smart. And is the ranking primarily focused on the sort of the gender equality through the ranks of an organization, you know, or is it also, is it more focused on the pay gap or is it a bit of both? It's focused on a lot of things. There are 67 questions. It's actually a hard questionnaire. We measure work-life balance conditions. We measure sexual harassment prevention and attention. We measure inclusive communications. We measure men and women across the ranks. So yes, female leadership as well. And we measure objectives, policies, and plans. Just anything that is on paper that will allow us to confirm that these practices will stay in place and not change every time the leaders change. How hard has that been to build the business and work together, you know, presumably collaboratively and coming up with the different services and products that you have developed over time? It's been better, actually, because each of us had her own space. And I like to say each of us was queen in her own land. So throughout these six years, we were able to build two twin corporations, but each of us was the leader of their own corporation. And we were very good at remote working. So this is why when the pandemic came, now that we have 30 people in five countries, it was very easy for us to say we're going remote because we've been working remotely forever. So we decided that we would just keep it up for the rest of the team from now on. But now that we have become a one, one team, well, Andrea and I have to share power. And that's been super interesting. Fortunately, it's been well, but it is a new challenge for Aequales because now we have to work together for the whole of Latin America and not just each of us for her own country. Yeah, right. I can imagine it's also pretty complex. How much difference do you see between the different countries in South America that you're working in? There is a big difference. So the best countries are Colombia and Argentina. We have the most, the highest number of female leadership, of females in, in leadership positions. And then the worst countries, well, there, there are many of them there, but from the ones that we measure, probably Chile and uh, Mexico. And interestingly, because Chile and Mexico are the most developed economies in Latin America, but at the same time, they have some of the worst numbers for gender equality. So there, it really is a contradiction because every other report on research in the world says that gender equality goes hand in hand with development. But in Latin America, it doesn't. Yeah. How fascinating about that kind of economic contradiction, if you like. And how much resistance have you had to your data and your rankings? Have you had a lot of either CEOs or men in power kind of 
trying to challenge the veracity or the credibility of of the work that you're doing with um, the rankings? Yes. So multinational corporations love the ranking because they have international standards that they're accountable for. In general, it's easy to convince multinational corporations to join the ranking. But then you have the other group, which is big national corporations, and they're big and successful. So they were born in Latin America, and because they're big and successful, they believe that they're doing everything right. And then when you compare them to other organizations and you compare them to other countries, they're really wary about it. They're, they're suspicious. So those are the people that we have to convince more than the others. Right. I imagine that you've had women come to you and share stories and confidences Do any stories spring to mind as really kind of shocking you or really just making you think twice about, you know, what you thought about an an organization? Oh, yes. As you say, lots of women come up to us to tell us their stories and it makes me really angry and frustrated in general. So there's a lot of sexual harassment, a lot that goes under the radar. And this is because in Latin America, especially people are very touchy feely. And that is a good thing in, in part because we're, we're very close. But at the, on the other hand, it's uncomfortable because people believe that they're allowed to be touching other people. So sexual harassment is big and very worrisome. And then other stories relating to they're paying you less because they believe your husband is a provider, which is, of course, very stereotypical, or they decided not to hire you because you're pregnant, or there are many corporations in Latin America that still carry out pregnancy tests, which are illegal, and then they don't hire women because Mm -hmm. they find out that the woman is pregnant, and they don't even say why they're not hiring her, and then so it's hard to claim discrimination. And then there are the deniers. There are so many deniers of gender inequality. It's like, why are we still talking about this? Gender equality is a thing of the present. We don't need to worry about it anymore. And that is a very tough ideological conversation because you have to prove them that the problem persists. Another thing that makes me really angry is (laughs) when, when they say, no, we shouldn't have affirmative action because affirmative action is discrimination against men. And it's like, what do you mean? And it's like, no, because we're privileging women. And it's like, no, you haven't understood. You've been privileging men for the past 10,000 years. And now we're saying you need one affirmative action to level the playing field. And you're saying that's discrimination. Seriously? So that also makes me angry. (laughs) Go Mia. Yeah, I can hear the passion that obviously fuels what you do. (laughs) I'm friendlier to them than I sound, of course. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a job. But it must be hard to quash those emotions down. What kinds of bias did you face yourself being a young woman trying to, you know, make some fairly fundamental changes in corporate, which is even, you know, more challenging? I think the bias was more about doing something social in corporate. So I have to be honest, and I don't think it was about me being a woman in this particular scenario. It was more about what do you mean you're having profits out of a social enterprise? And it's like, no, yes, we are a for-profit corporation, just like you. We speak your language. We are the same as you in that sense. And people kept saying, Aequales Foundation, Aequales the NGO. And, oh, you have such a beautiful social project. It's like, no, you haven't understood. This is not a beautiful social project. It's not an NGO. It's not a foundation. 
It is a for-profit multi-Latin corporation. So that levering, leveling up to multinational corporations in that way, that has been harder because there's a huge bias towards if you're working for a social impact, then you're definitely not a corporation. You don't belong in this club. You belong in the social sector club where philanthropy and, and, and people give you money. So you do your job and it's, it's pretty and it's no, this isn't pretty. It's, it's a business. And I, well, it's actually a profitable business and we're doing well. Thank you. <laughs> so please treat me like such. Good on you. And what made you decide that you would be a for-profit versus a, a not-for-profit? It's exactly the same reason, because we wanted to be treated like a corporation. We wanted to sit on the table of power. If corporations are in guilds and they have associations and CEOs are sitting down to decide the future of this country, we wanted to be there. We wouldn't want to be in another room with, the, with whoever else and the other sectors. We wanted to sit at the table where our conversation stood and we wanted to speak business like them so that we would be taken seriously. And so that gender equality could be seen as a business case. As you say, gender equality has a, can have a business case and therefore presumably that's what you and Aqualas have been all about, which is trying to sell the commercial benefits of a more equal corporate approach. Is that right? Is that a fair summary? Yes, you're absolutely right, Greta. Actually, right now, we are carrying out the first research for Latin America on the business case for gender equality, because we've been reading research from Europe, from the States, and it's, it's all wonderful, but Latin Americans are not going to believe this is true until they see it in their own region, in their locally. So we're, we're allied with this university and a consultancy firm in Peru. And we're developing the first research that says explicitly that corporations in Latin America that have gender equality standards are up to 25% more profitable than corporations who don't. And this is covering up for every other variable that could possibly interfere. So we have found causality in Latin America and where we want this to be promoted and that everyone understands that this is real here. Well, how exciting that you've just shared this feels like fairly hot off the press data with us. Yes, it has been released in the bad ranking event in the award ceremony on the 4th of November. That's really exciting. Amir, if we now turn to actually what it's like to be running the business, what do you think have been your biggest mistakes? Mm. Well, we weren't business women. We hadn't we didn't go to business schools until we were already building a corporation. And so I think there were mistakes in the sense that we weren't creating things that were customer centric. We were creating things that we wanted corporations to have because we wanted gender equality. And so right now we're shifting this perspective and asking customers what they need and then building products and services that deliver gender equality, but in a way that they understand it and in a way that they need it. So we're shifting the, the view. And uh, so that was the first mistake. The second mistake was right at the beginning when we started selling consultancy services. As I said, the, the corporations weren't interested. They, they didn't have an incentive. So then we created the ranking and they had a new incentive, but this was a process of understanding. And then I think just hiring and promoting people is super hard. Just keep having the best talent and keeping them updated and not overwhelming them is, is hard. So we're, we're trying to be the best leaders, not just for 
our clients, but for our people, for our team. And that is a constant process. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and as your business is expanding across South America, I know that you're, you know, you're growing. You said you have 30 people now. What have you learned about scaling the business across multiple geographies? That has been also another mistake in the beginning because we jumped from Colombia and Peru to Mexico. Mexico is the biggest economy in Latin America with Brazil. And we did it in a way that was not efficient. We hired people, we were coming and going. Mexico is huge, so it was very hard to tap that market. And we learned that the hard way. And now we would be much better at entering a new market. So for example, the ranking is our first entrance. We gather information from corporations through the ranking. Then we approach the corporations We don't spend money that we don't have to because we're working remotely. So we could enter many more countries today and not set foot there at all. And that is thanks to the pandemic first. Then secondly, because we learned how to be efficient and we had three countries running independently. Now we have just one operation system that delivers to every single country in Latin America. So we understood scaling in a much wider way. What advice have you got for others listening who are thinking of starting a business that absolutely has a social impact element to it as well? I would say start with searching for profit. It's okay. It's okay to be a social activist and look for profit. It's okay to be business people and be social activists at the same time. The only way to maintain your social impact is through profits and growing your corporation and maintaining your corporation throughout time and not depending on other people. So usually the social sector depends on international cooperation, philanthropy, the state. But then if you produce your own profits, then you're allowed to do whatever you want. You have so much freedom to decide where change should happen and how it should happen. So I think you really need to interrelate these two things. Yeah, I think that makes complete sense, the whole, if you want that autonomy and creativity and ability to innovate, if you're self-sustaining with your own revenue stream versus relying on others. Mm -hmm. Mia, how old are you now? I'm turning 34 this week. Oh, happy congratulations. <laughs> uh, the reason I ask, and forgive me, it's a question we ask all of our guests. And I think what we have to do with you is, as we've done recently with one or two other guests, is dial back the clock. Normally we would say, what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self? But that feels <laughs> a little bit too recent. <laughs> so I think I would say in this instance, you know, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Well, I was very afraid. I think like many women, I was a victim of the imposter syndrome. And I believed I wasn't good enough. I believed I could never be a businesswoman. I was a psychologist. And the advice would be, seriously, everything is possible. Like It sounds super cliche, but if you asked Mia, the psychologist at 23, if at 33, she would be a successful businesswoman with a multi-Latin corporation, she would say, there is no way on earth. Like, seriously, there is no way on earth. And this is happening. So if in my experience, this is possible, I'm, 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 I'm no genius, I'm a regular person, then I'm sure that it could happen for everyone else. But still, I think that the advice would be, be wary of external boundaries, because it's true that women face external boundaries. It's, it's not all about, you can do it, be confident. That I think is, is dangerous to put that message out there and just tell women that they're not there because they don't want to. That's not true. 
and for them to prioritize themselves and for them to prioritize themselves with their partner, with their families. As soon as women have children, it's like their lives don't belong to them anymore. I don't think this is fair either. So I would say, believe everything as possible. Yes. But then make sure that all external barriers are also under your control and that if possible, and then prioritize yourself and, and give yourself the time and the space that you need in order to be ready for things. That can be quite tough though, can't it? When you're thinking about your comments on sort of managing your external boundaries as, a, as an individual person, you know, briefly, what advice do you have to people to, how do they think about that? Because sometimes it's systemic. Exactly. I think your question is perfect. It is systemic. There's only so much you can do. Then you have to be aware. For example, do try to join a corporation or just any workplace that has gender equality and diversity policies and practices in place. Because if, you, if they don't, and if they just say like, oh no, but we love being gender equality and blah, and it's not on paper and it's not structural and cultural, it's not going to happen. And the moment that women have kids, it's going to fall on them heavily and the corporation is not going to have the flexibility for them to remain at the corporation. So I think it's about asking the right questions. What are the policies? What are the practices? What sort of negotiations are we going to come into with our partners? romantic partners, the people that are going to live with us and raise our families with us. What's our space? What's our time? We need to be able to negotiate all of this for ourselves and not just take it for granted in the sense that, oh, but this is what women have to do. And in Latin America, there's a huge burden around women have to do this. It's their duty. They are the caregivers. They are the, the ones with the burden. And I would say, no, there is a chance for you to negotiate, but it will be tough, of course. And you need the strength and you need the knowledge and and you need to stand up for yourself. And I understand that that's hard. Yeah, absolutely, especially when you've got all those sort of cultural norms. And do you have a, a motto in life at all? Aequales has a beautiful motto, which is freeing the workplace through gender equality. And for Andrea and I and for everyone else at Aequales, freedom is really our horizon. And we, we try to bring conditions for people to be able to express themselves and their identities as far as they want to. I love that. That is a truly wonderful and noble purpose. And what a wonderful note to end on as well, Mia. Thank you so much for your time. If our listeners are interested in finding out more about you and the work of Iqualas, where should they go to look? Our website, Iqualas.com. There's an English version of it. And then on social media, Iqualas, L-A-T for Latin America, Iqualas, L-A-T in every social media. Fantastic. Well, we'll also put those on our show notes. Thank you so much. It's been really fascinating hearing about the conditions for women in Latin America. It's been inspiring to hear about the work you are doing with Iqualas and hearing your passion. And we genuinely wish you all the very best with creating that greater freedom in the workplace for women. I couldn't agree with it more. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mia. This has been, it has been a pleasure and I appreciate your questions and the depth that you have given this interview. You have to hand it to Mia, don't you? 
Coming up with an index to compare different companies on their gender diversity performance was a brilliant solution for them to take when they couldn't convert consulting clients. Yeah, it sure was. You know, by creating an index, they were making it really hard for big corporates to refuse to be included. But once they were measured by the index, they then often needed consulting services to improve their rankings. It's a classic. It really is just brilliant. And, you know, it's great to hear someone with so much passion to make a difference, getting real traction in a challenging world for females. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's this episode done and dusted. Stay tuned for one of our Future Proof Me mini episodes next week. But for now, take care, smile and ciao for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.